All right, folks, welcome in to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, and I am excited to be back in this chair. I took a week off, or not, not a full week, really. I just took Friday off of the podcast, but was able to rest and recover and have a good time. I did really enjoy myself on my vac- little mini vacation. Shout out to Ava and Brent, if they are listening to the podcast. And also shout out to Andrew and Donnie, who uh, we, we all had a good time up at our little mini retreat. Enjoyed ourselves for sure. Uh, thank you guys for a great weekend. Um, but we had a great time. And I am back and I am excited to talk about basketball, excited to talk about the Nuggets. There's not too much to talk about right now, but I did want to kick things off with a mailbag for obvious reasons. Uh, again, thank you so much, everybody, for hopping in. Cedric's in here. What's up, Cedric? Uh, Nemanja's in here. How are you, how you doing, man? A trophy yellow smiling is what it, what shows up on the StreamYard plugin. But I see it in the YouTube chat over here. I see the actual trophy. Uh, really enjoy uh, for sure. Uh, Hurricane, I'm not putting that one up on screen, but I do really appreciate you. Thanks for stopping by and hanging out. That's always appreciated. Um, on this episode, we're going to talk about a variety of things. We're going to go over the bottom couple of things on the side panel here. No Jokic in the World Cup, the offseason. It's very long. We're, we're going to talk about a couple of different things that are still yet to happen. But um, there's actually 10 full weeks between now and NBA Media Day, which I, I expect Denver will be on that track when they ultimately do. Uh, and then we'll do a mailbag in the second and third segments for sure. Uh, but first, that's funny. Uh, but first, uh, let's get into this little detail. Nikola Jokic not going to participate in the FIBA World Cup. This was, I think, bandied about. I think it was 50-50 as to whether he would participate or not. Uh, he did not ultimately commit to playing for Team Serbia for the FIBA World Cup this year. And in doing some research, I wrote about it for milehighsports.com. Make sure to go check that out if you haven't already. Uh, But I wrote about this and wanted to go through some of the details on the numbers of how many games he had played between the bubble and now. And it's a lot, folks. Like it's a, I think it's 285 sanctioned games in the last three calendar years. And for some that may not feel like a ton. Uh, but for like for me, I, that feels like an absolutely insane amount of basketball to play, especially when you're playing at the NBA, uh, international, uh, just outstanding highest levels of basketball that you possibly can. Uh, it's just a lot of basketball to be played. And Jokic has played it at such a high level himself that uh, I'm not surprised that for a person like he is, for a player like he is, where uh, so much of his actual game is the creativity it's the actual mental acuity it takes to be able to play that style of basketball it has to be mentally exhausting people don't really talk about that when they talk about Jokic because a lot of people talk about the physical aspect and how okay he doesn't use a ton of athleticism to move around to jump like he can play until he's 80 because he's not gonna be uh, physically worn down I mean like you can't lose that much more athleticism right that's that's I think the narrative that comes out about him The actual aspect that I kind of take from it is that he has played a lot of basketball. He's played a lot of high-level hoops, 
and I think it wears on him mentally. And and you you hear this from a lot of professional athletes that it's not the physical side of things that especially in the in between stuff, the international competitions, it's not the physical side that takes the deepest toll. It is the mental side. It is the emotional side. It is the uh, stuff that's not even seen to the public eye. And so there's only so much that I can really, really share uh, because there's only so much that I really, really know. But what I will say is that this isn't really a surprise. Today also marks six weeks since the Nuggets won the title. Uh, June 12th was the day that they won it. And today is July 24th. It is uh, 42 days, six weeks. And I think that's, yeah, that's right. And so it's not surprising that given such a short amount of time between actual games, I don't really blame Jokic for wondering, hey, uh, I'm good. I'm actually good for uh, going to this event and committing another six weeks of his life. And then he gets a two-week break before he has to come back to the States. And that's just not enough time, in my opinion, to really rest and refresh uh, because he would have had to leave in these next couple days if, if he was actually going to play for the national team. So hopefully what this means for Serbia, hopefully this means is that in the Olympics in next year, uh, which 2024 Olympics are going to be played in Paris, hopefully what this means is that Jokic will rest and recover and commit himself to those uh, Olympics then. The last thing you want to see is Jokic deciding, I don't really want to do this. I don't really want to uh, be a part of this for the Olympics itself, because that's that's just another major competition that I think Serbians, and especially like, the Serbian population that sees this as a golden era of basketball, they do not want to see this go to waste. And I don't think Jokic does either. I just think he has physical limitations too, and mental limitations that have really blocked him from actually doing this. So not a surprise to me that this is happening. Not a surprise that he actually could be a little bit limited in this regard because he's had to do a whole heck of a lot. Um, I do think that if I were the Nuggets, I would try to allow them an opportunity. I would try to allow Jokic an opportunity to rest a little bit more during the regular season as a result because they've won their championship. They know they're going to commit to a deep playoff run. That's what they're going to try to do. But I would also agree with him that if they could get by with only 65 to 70 games of Jokic again, they should try to do that. They shouldn't try to play him any more than 70 games if they can possibly help it. Because that's just, I think that that is a recipe for allowing him to play in both tournaments the way that he would want to. The NBA and then in international competition. Because I do think that this matters to him. And I do think that he's had to choose the NBA pretty much over and over and over again based off of the circumstances created by COVID and Denver's success and other factors that aren't really in his control, though he is made out to be the villain. And that sucks. Like, I, I don't I don't want to see him be the villain. I, th- I think that he cares about his country. He cares about the national team. And I'm not surprised that it has kind of gone this direction. It's it's too bad that it has, but hopefully he gets to play in FIBA, or not FIBA, in the Olympics in 2024. But if Denver does go on a deep playoff run once again, it might also be difficult. But 
I don't know. We'll see. You, you might see a few Serbian fans decidedly root against Jokic and his success at the NBA level so that he can commit to the national level. That would not surprise me. Um, so everybody be civil. Everybody be kind. This is it's just a tough situation, and we just want to see Jokic play basketball. So I know Nuggets fans care more about the NBA. I know uh, in general uh, the Serbian fan base cares more about the national team and the actual obligations that they have there. So. I hope everybody can be civil about this. I hope everybody can uh, understand that this is a difficult situation and that nobody's really the bad guy here. It just kind of is what it is. All right. Deep offseason. This is, I think, the stretch right now. And it's one of the reasons why I felt good about taking a vacation. There wasn't any actual things that happened while I was gone. Like you had some two-way signings. You had uh, the occasional rumor here, I think, the one thing that you can really point to over the course of this weekend was that James Harden was not at Joel Embiid's wedding and was apparently playing hard to get with uh, with some of the things that he's doing and, and things that he cares about. And it's pretty funny that a lot of people wanted Denver to trade for James Harden. They wanted Denver to trade Michael Porter Jr. or even Jamal Murray if they had to, to go get James Harden. And think about that back in 2020. When where Denver was and what was going on at that point and what has happened since. Even though Jamal Murray tore his ACL, I would not like there's there's just no recompense for actually trading for James Harden because it would have ruined the Nuggets organization in a lot of different ways, as it has ruined the Rockets, the Nets, and the Sixers successively. So whoever trades for him next is gonna have to bite that bullet. They're gonna have to know what they're getting into. I think the Clippers are probably going to be that team that's probably eventually going to happen. But it is funny that this is happening the way that it is. Uh, Also, I've mentioned the Miami Media Mafia. Uh, They are in full force trying to get Portland Trailblazers fans and gaslighting them into thinking that Damian Lillard uh, being traded is a good thing for the NBA, is a good thing for their franchise, is a good thing for basketball. It's really not like... Damian Lillard signed a contract extension and now he is forcing his way with three plus years on his deal out out, uh, just a year after signing that extension. He feels like he has the leverage and the cadre to do whatever he wants, but newsflash, like Dame is not that dude. Like he, he just isn't that level of player. And the fact that he is doing this to a team that loves him and adores him and, and a franchise and a fan base that wants to uh, that wanted to love and support him until the end of time uh, it's not a surprise that things have gotten kind of ugly on that front as well so those are the two overarching things that have really sort of affected things uh, in the offseason this year Hurricane says uh, thoughts on Rivers comments uh, Austin Rivers basically called out Damian Lillard and is like yeah, this is bad. This is really bad for the league. Uh, ben Simmons and James Harden started the signing the contract and then demanding a trade and really forcing yourself out. And I've heard this narrative kind of go about that Rivers is a little bit bitter. Rivers is just like he doesn't deserve to be able to talk about things like this. I sort I completely disagree with that for one thing. Uh, but for another what we've understood about the CBA and what we've understood about basketball in general is that in a league where there is a limited amount of money that is being played around with, 
so much more of that, the highest percentage possible of that is going to the star players and the middle players, the middle tier um, has really been just cut out entirely. So now you're seeing teams like the Phoenix Suns where they've got four max contracts and 11 minimums on their roster. It's absurd. It is an absurd thing. And I'm not surprised that a lot of these teams are going that direction because stars win championships. And you have to know that. Everybody knows that. But it is super dumb. It's super dumb the way that this has played out uh, with Dame, with Harden, with all of these guys. Like, It's why drama sells because people care about this because it's polarizing because this is sort of a a reflection of the league itself and so i'm not surprised sorry about that i've got a call um, and it connected to my phone um i'm not surprised that things have sort of went the way that they have and this is getting ugly and it will probably continue to get ugly and hard and tweeting or sharing things on instagram like I'm okay with getting uncomfortable. It's it's I'm comfortable with being uncomfortable, whatever he said. It's not a surprise that that's what is actually happening now. So it's too bad. But look, it is what it is. I know the fans are wanting to know what this situation is going to look like. But I think that those two things hanging over the league is bad. And that's just not a great, not a great sign. Um, David Shea asks... Would have traded Scoot, Simons, and a pick for Mikhail Bridges. Gives them a puncher's chance. I think a puncher's chance is pretty kind for that Blazers team because in the end, they do not have the front court to really do anything about having... like You've got Dame, you've got Mikhail Bridges, you've got Jeremy Grant. In theory, that's a really, really good building block. Like building... Uh, that's a really, really good trio to surround a guy like Damian Lillard. But they don't have the big man depth. They don't have, like, Yusuf Nurkic is just not that level of defender. He isn't a versatile enough defender. And at the NBA level, if you have a one and a five that cannot defend, then you're screwed. Denver, I think, for a lot of teams and for a lot of people and a lot of fans, they thought that Denver was kind of a a shining example of that with Murray and Jokic. And there were parts of this last season where Murray and Jokic could not defend. But prior to them getting injured, there was a lot of data that said that Jokic and Murray defending in the pick and roll was really, really great. And I think that if you have Damian Lillard and Yusuf Nurkic defending in pick and roll, I don't think there's any way that those guys can defend at the level that Murray and Jokic are, which is crazy, but it's probably true. Now, Mikael Bridges, Jeremy Grant. You add a couple of other pieces, like I know they've got Nasir Little, they've got um, a couple of other sizable wings, like Matisse Dybul's there too. He's a great defender. There's there's something to be said for that. Maybe they should give it a shot. But I don't think that Brooklyn would want to trade Mikhail Bridges for what you shared. Now, maybe they would. Maybe Scoo Henderson, Anthony Simons, and a first-round pick is good enough. But I don't think that's the direction that Brooklyn wants to go. I, I don't think they want to be really, really bad. And while I think that that deal makes sense in theory for them, especially for like giving up Mikael Bridges because he's probably like at least a second or third banana and not a first banana, and you're going to pay him during those prime years, and you want to capitalize on that value because it's not going to be great when 
they're going to be next great. But who knows? Who knows? I, I don't know what Brooklyn wants. That's that's probably the the more effective thing. I think if you're if you're Portland, like you'd probably want to trade Scoo Henderson, Anthony Simons, and a pick for Mikael Bridges. That would be a great idea. All right, let's take a break now. When we come back, we are going to discuss uh, the mailbag. We're gonna we're gonna answer a lot of questions here. We're gonna answer a ton of questions. I have a lot of great questions from everybody. Every one of you uh, should be a lot of fun. But first. Everybody in this podcast is known as Brodsy by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. You can see them uh, right there. Sorry, can't. Still trying to figure out the the pointing at the camera thing. Uh, Superbook Sports, they've done great stuff over the course of this summer, and they can help your bets stay hot. Given that they are the most trusted name in sports, ban- in sports gambling with a direct line to Las Vegas. And now when you use promo code MILEHIGH, you score up to $250 with their first bet bonus. Win or lose, Superbook will match your first bet up to 250 with promo code MILEHIGH. Download the Superbook Sports app, use that promo code, and you will get 250 bucks courtesy of Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. Roll Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support on the podcast. As always, if you can, also if you could rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, five stars, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts, that would be fantastic. Look, I've got a little bit of a little banner that, that pops up at the bottom of the screen now when I do that. So, everybody, thank you so much. Uh, we're growing the channel, and I love to see it continuing to grow. It obviously helps us out tremendously. All right. Let's now do mailbag. Let's hop in. Let's answer some questions. Thank you to everybody for submitting. Let's chat. And let's start with Aaron. This is the one that kind of prompted the mailbag. I've heard a lot about other teams catching the Nuggets. Did the Celtics, Suns, or Lakers catch the Nuggets this offseason? It's important to mention that Denver was not the favorite heading into last season. They weren't even really close to the favorite. They were like the seventh or eighth best odds. Milwaukee was higher odds. Boston was the top odds on the board. I think the Warriors were top top odds there. I think the Suns were about equivalent with Denver. I think the Sixers were about equivalent with Denver. Uh, The Clippers, I know, had higher odds than Denver, which was hilarious in in hindsight. Um, Right now, Denver's got the top odds still. It's pretty close. I wouldn't say that any team is like like way too far below Denver when it comes to second, third, fourth place in, in terms of many of these odds. But I know that Denver's at the top. I know the Celtics are probably second in most cases. I think the Bucks are still pretty high up there in most cases. And the Suns and the Lakers are generally rounding things out in a top five. So not really a surprise. Not really a surprise in my mind, but did those teams do enough to actually catch Denver this offseason? I'm going to say no. Um, I'm going to say no because I think that Denver and what they have, fundamentally, it stays the same. Despite the fact that you lose Bruce Brown, Denver's going to have to find different ways to 
attack. They're going to have to find different ways, different players, different mechanisms, maybe get a little bit creative with some of the lineups. I know that Bruce Brown kind of papered over a lot of those question marks during his time, especially during the playoffs, but he wasn't a perfect player and Denver's not looking for perfect solutions here. They're looking for pieces to the pie. They're looking for different ways that they can solve different problems. So I don't think that the Celtics trading for Porzingis, I don't think that the Suns trading for Bradley Beal, and I don't think that the Lakers adding Gabe Vincent and Jackson Hayes and Torian Prince and guys like that, like none of those things really change what's going on. Uh, I do think that those teams got better. I think all three of them got better, at least in theory. I think the Celtics is going to be an interesting one in practice. I think that when you take away Marcus Smart, yes, you have Derek White, but there were plenty of times during the previous year uh, when Derek White looked unplayable in a playoff environment because of his fear of shooting. Now, I don't think he has that anymore, but putting even more pressure on him to be a floor spacer, to be a creator, might not be the best thing in the world because at least what Smart was doing, he was pretty competent with how he handled a lot of stuff. Um, So that's at least a very dangerous one. But I do think that in theory, if you're the Celtics, if you have three different bigs that you could throw at Jokic, whether it's Porzingis spacing the floor, Al Horford doing his thing, um, just being a floor spacer and connector and and a defensive uh, stalwart for them, or Robert Williams, who's kind of the athletic option, the rover, the roamer, uh, they can play in a way similar to the Lakers and when they wanted to, they can play in a way where you have a guy like Robert Williams who's helping out. Now, I don't think that that is as viable when you have the full starting lineup for Denver as opposed to those previous matchups against the Celtics where the Celtics dominated Denver. It looked bad, and that happened mostly because of the way that the Celtics were able to guard Jokic and they didn't have to respect the other options. Now you've got to respect Jamal Murray. Now you've got Derek White guarding him. Derek White's a really good defender. He's not great. Like I mean, he is great. But that doesn't like change too much. Like They're still going to have to defend. They're still going to have to be on a string. And that was something that Marcus Smart was great at. And they're going to have to replace it, whether it's with Malcolm Brogdon or Jalen Brown at the two. Not great. Not great options. So I think that if you're Denver, you feel good about facing the Celtics. You feel pretty good about facing the Suns still because – despite the fact that they have a third person now that you can really work into that rotation where where it's got a, a guy who's catching and shooting, hitting 40% on their threes, uh, doing a really good job as a secondary creator, and whether he's the starting point guard or the starting shooting guard doesn't really matter. Bradley Beal's going to have the ball in his hands a fair amount, maybe not a ton, um, and they are going to be great because Devin Booker's great and Kevin Durant is great and Bradley Beal... I think he's going to be really, really good as a, as a third option. I don't think he's a first option. I think he's miscast as that and was constantly miscast as that because he was constantly in Washington on a subpar team. But you kind of take that away from him, and maybe he looks a little bit more like Aaron Gordon, not necessarily from a like full-on shooting perspective, but you reduce his shot attempts by five a game, and he's suddenly far more efficient. He suddenly picks and chooses spots a little bit better suddenly has a little bit more energy on the defensive end. I think they're going to be a better team. Um, Whether that actually helps or not, we'll see, because they still don't have the defense to stop the Nuggets. Do they have the offense to outscore them? Probably not, but it's at least closer. And then the Lakers, like, 
I'm not as worried about the Lakers. I don't think anybody really is as worried about the Lakers. Denver, they allowed some of those games to be closer than they probably should have been. But the thing that you have to keep continue remembering is they have so much pressure on LeBron, on Anthony Davis, on both of those guys being special. And if they are not special, then you look at the rest of their roster. Is Austin Reeves going to average 20 plus a night for them during a playoff run? Probably not. Is uh, Rui Hashimura going to shoot as well as he did against the Nuggets consistently? Probably not. Is Gabe Vincent going to be able to stay on the floor consistently if teams are going to hunt him out? Maybe. Uh, they have good rotation defense behind it with LeBron and Anthony Davis, but I also think that if you just consistently work those guys to the bone, there's only so much that LeBron and AD can do. So I don't think that it changes too much for them to have Gabe Vincent. Like Torian Prince is a decent role player. He's solid. Um, Jackson Hayes is a fine role player. He's not even decent. But there are people that think that he can do it. There are people that think he can help. And maybe he can. But I don't think they caught the Nuggets. And I think that anybody that says otherwise is insane. <laughs> even though Bruce Brown is not there, even though Gabe Vincent is there for, for the Lakers, I don't think that they caught. So that is my long-winded way of saying, no, I do not think that they are really that close to where Denver is. They're a good team. They are not a great team. I, I think that was pretty clear. I think they got pretty lucky on their draw. And had they played the Suns, for example, I think that they would have been eliminated. We'll see. All right. Let's look at some comments here real quick. Um, uh, Nadine says, Hunter Tyson's going to help. I do agree with that. Uh, we will see how much he actually plays because I, I think that the defensive questions are still real when it comes to a regular season and then to a playoff standpoint. But we're going to find out. Uh, Stefan asks, how good is Beal as a three-point shooter? He is good when you allow him to catch and shoot more. He is not a great pull-up three-point shooter, at least not from what I understand. When he is consistently working as a catch-and-shoot three-point guy, I think he is better. And I think he's going to be in a better culture where being asked to do less, I think that it will be an easier thing for them. Um. Nemanja says, I really want to see Warriors versus Suns in the playoffs. I agree. That would be a fun series. And watching Steph and KD going back and forth at each other, watching Chris Paul kind of get under the skin of Devin Booker uh, and, and Kevin Durant in a lot of ways, that would be very interesting. And then watching Bradley Gill go at Chris Paul, I think that that would be like the two guys that basically got traded for each other, although in a roundabout way. That is going to be fascinating. But we will see. All right. Back to the questions here. Blast from the past. He asks, are the Nuggets starters especially satisfied with a ring or will they approach the next season with the same hunger slash urgency as they did last season? This is a good question. It's one that I've kind of implied for a little bit here. I've definitely implied it because um, it's human nature, right? It's human nature, especially given these last five seasons. There have not been any repeat title winners in these last five years. And I think Tim Bontemps wrote about it uh, for ESPN earlier today. I did not get a chance to read that one, but it's a narrative out there that 
there haven't been a lot of teams that have been able to repeat. Denver has an opportunity to do so because they're the only team that has an opportunity right now. But I don't know if they're any well I don't know if they're better positioned to do that or worse positioned to do that than most other teams. It really comes down to how great you believe Jokic, Murray, MPJ, Aaron Gordon, guys like that, how great that quartet can be for a second playoff run in a row as teams continue to adjust to them. Um, I think that Jokic can continue to reach new levels. I think that Murray will continue to reach new levels. I don't have questions about them being able to compete in the playoffs, but I do have questions in the regular season in terms of what's the motivation factor going to look like? What is the, like, are they going to have the perfect formula to really get that one seed this year? I think in theory, you would definitely say, yeah, they, they make sense as the one seed, but it's very rare to actually do that. It's very rare to uh, not kind of just mess around a little bit in the regular season and still be able to do that. I think the West is going to be crazy, and there are going to be a lot of teams, the Suns included, maybe even the Lakers, uh, maybe even the Warriors, who are going to be really good during the regular season and have levels that they can continue to reach. Denver's not going to feel the need to prove anything, I don't think. And so I think if we're if we're talking about satisfaction, if we're talking about hunger and urgency, I don't think they're going to have the same level. I don't think that they are going to be um, as hungry to prove themselves as they were because they know what they have to do in order to get it done. I think you even saw it during the regular season this last year. I feel very confident that if they wanted to, they could have won 60 games, but they didn't want to. That wasn't a goal of theirs. That wasn't something that they felt like they had to do. And it kind of irked Michael Malone at times. I think he got pretty irritated and said that if you lose those championship habits, then you are going to be burned. But I didn't have as many questions about the championship habits this last year as I did the year before, because I could see that Denver had done enough during December, January, and February in order to really answer those questions, even when they kind of fell apart in March. I was one of the lone voices that was like, it is fine, it is going to be okay, call me back in May. And I felt feel pretty good about that one now. Um, I don't know if I feel that same way this time around. I don't know if that is going to be a similar vibe. I think that it's very fair to wonder whether Denver will have that same hunger. I think it's very fair to wonder whether Denver is good enough to just mess around a little bit and not develop those championship habits once again, not cultivate those things once again. Because every season is different and you need to do things in different ways in order to actually make it work. Now, we'll see what happens. I do think that it's possible that Denver repeats, but I don't know if they're going to do it like as a 58 win one seed in a conference that is, that's got a lot of other teams that have like 55, 54, 53 wins like for, for all those teams. I think that it's going to be very similar to this last year where the top seed in the West is about 54 wins. The second seed is about 52 the third seed and the fourth seed and the fifth seed and the sixth seed all have about 49 to 50. So we'll see what ultimately happens, but it just it would not surprise me if Denver, they fall into that three to six seed threshold where, uh, yeah, they got to push through a little bit, but they know what they have to do and they're not afraid of going on the road in order to get things done. Now, them getting the one seed this past year was very helpful when it came to actually winning the championship. It gave them the easiest path possible, and they took well advantage of that because other teams did not. So 
I do think that it's something that they've got to at least figure out. And whether Jokic is going for another MVP or Murray's going for an all-star bid or MPJ's going for an all-star bid, like we're, we're going to find out. We're going to see what happens and, and what those guys are, are actually made of. One more here before we take another break. Uh, Grace Jean, she asks, Jokic said he wanted to be for Denver what Tim Duncan was for San Antonio, but he needed a couple of championships first. How much does he want to win? It, without, like, so here's the thing. I would love to say, like, like sit here and pretend like I know exactly how Jokic feels. I know exactly what he wants and what he says and, and what his deepest, darkest desires are. I don't. I, I don't want to pretend that. But what I will say is that everybody that you talk to about him, everybody that sort of has a better picture than what I do, they say that his competitiveness is underrated. They say that his competitiveness and his desire to be great is not talked about enough. And a lot of that is because Jokic doesn't talk about that. <laughs> There's only so much that other people can say before... Others are like, okay, well, now we want to hear you say it. Now we want to hear you say those things. And Jokic will never, ever say those things. So you are talking about a guy who has said he wanted to be like Tim Duncan. And that is the most vocal he has ever been about his desire for winning, his desire for staying with one team. And it was why it was such a big deal. But I do think that we're going to find out after you get the first one. We're going to find out after you get the uh, couple of rings or the couple of uh, MVPs and A-Finals. I think there is a very distinct chance that Jokic goes either the Dirk route or the Duncan route. The Dirk route is Denver kind of tries to figure out their, their next versions of themselves. Jokic continues to play great, but may not be at the, the top one level uh, that he got to this past year. And Denver, for whatever reason, can't get the mix to work again. And Dirk Nowitzki finished with one ring in his NBA career. Or they continue to cultivate this similar mix. And it continues to work because Jokic continues to put in the work and represent so many great things. And he stays at the top of his game where you can always say he is a capable and, and a coherent, he's a coherent choice to be a top player in the league for a long, long time. And both reasons could be true. Both way, both pathways could happen. And if the second pathway happens, then it is very possible that Denver rattles off the next, like they win two of the next four championships in, in two of the next four years, in which case Jokic then has three championships in five years like Tim Duncan had from 03 to 05 to 07. That would be super dope. That was like during Duncan's prime years. And... Jokic might even go beyond that. He may not be the top player in the NBA at those points, but if he's a top five to 10 player for like the next decade, then it's going to feel really good. It's then people are going to be pretty excited about what Denver could be. And maybe it's not Jokic himself who is winning those finals MVPs. And maybe it's a 2007 Tony Parker situation where Jamal Murray plays so well or somebody else plays so well that they take the glory in that situation. You think Jokic is going to mind? I don't think Jokic is going to mind, but I do think that he wants to win. I do think that he cares. Uh, there was a video that came out today from him winning a horse race back in Serbia, 
as the most important horse race of the summer, and Jokic's horse won. And I don't know if it was Dreamcatcher that 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 research has evaded me, uh, but I do think that he cares. He cares about winning. He likes winning. He enjoys it. But to say that it's the only thing that drives him, and like that, he's not going to be a Kobe kind of winner. But if he's a Tim Duncan kind of winner, it's probably good enough. All right, tell you what, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to discuss more mailbag questions and chat a whole bunch more. Should be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. But first, uh, let's talk to Sandy and Sean. was actually made and now uh, Sandy Clough has a Twitter account I believe and he's going he's on Twitter he's on social media or X as it's now called so uh, I don't I have no idea how to handle that by the way when I introed this podcast I believe I said at NBA Blackburn on Twitter I think I should say at NBA Blackburn on X I guess but yeah we're gonna find out we're gonna find out if that if I need to do that or not um Follow me on threads as well, I guess. It should be interesting. Um, all right. Back to the mailbag. Let's chat once more. Uh, got a bunch of questions here that I'm probably not going to get to in this episode. I'll probably go for another 15 minutes or so. Um, but I do want to mention... Um, let's, let's, let's go over a couple of these questions. Here's the ghost of Bruce Brown. For the first time in seven years, could the Nuggets have a leading scorer on the season not named Nikola Jokic? It's one of those things that's gone underrated about Jokic because even though he hasn't always been the most aggressive scorer, he hasn't always been the guy that's wanted to be featured, he has been the leading scorer since his rookie year, basically, or since his sophomore season. I think that that season, 2016-17, it was Danilo Gautinari who had like 19 points, 18 points, something around there. Jokic was at about 16-17. to 17. And ever since that moment, Jokic, I think jumped ahead. I, I don't know if was he the leading scorer that year or was it Gary Harris in 2018? I believe it was Jokic. Let me just check that real quick because that's an important detail. Shout out to Gary Harris who uh absolutely deserves the credit if he was the leading scorer. Um no I think it was Jokic. Um yep, looking at it Jokic at 18.5 points per game Gary Harris at 17.5 Really close. Really close. Good try, Gary. Um, shout out to the G-Man. Um, I think that there's a possibility. I think there's a possibility this year that Jokic decides to step back, maybe not as a as a full scorer, because like, there's only so much he can do stepping back. Uh, because he wants to set the table. He wants to make sure that everybody else is featured. But the Nuggets are a better team and a better organization when Jokic is at his most aggressive. Now, there is some saving going on. There is some actual like energy saving that has to happen in this where Jokic during this time, like I think that if he's going to save some energy, let's say playing the 2024 playoffs and then doing the 2024 Olympics, maybe he wants to take one fewer shot a game, two fewer shots a game. And if that does happen and he only averages like 22 to 23 points per game, who's to say that Murray can't step up? Who's to say that Jokic or uh, that the Porter, excuse me, couldn't step up. Those guys to me, Murray especially, 
are very, very interesting when it comes to like what their roles are going to be going forward. I think that if I were to predict next year, I think that Jokic probably still averages about 24 points per game. But I think that Murray crosses over and averages nearly the same amount. I think he'll probably be about 24 as well. I think that Murray's due for a breakout in the regular season. I think that this past year, him coming back from the ACL tear, uh, just looking at the other games, like basically you take out the first 20 games when he was recovering, and you look at the next 60, and he's averaging like 23 and 7 and stuff like that. Like He was really, really good. Murray was really, really, really good. And I just tend to think that that's going to keep going. And if he averages another 23, 20 points per game, or 24 points per game, then maybe it will be Murray who will be the leading scorer. I think he wants that title. I don't think he necessarily, like, it's not good. Like, he's not going to demand it. It's not going to be the most important thing to him. But I think he's good enough and is going to continue to break out. I think he wants to be an all-star. I think the best way to do that is to score more points. And if I'm him, I think there's an opportunity to do so. So you lose Bruce Brown, you lose another playmaker. The ball's going to be in Murray's hands a ton. I think that he will be at 23 to 24 points a night. And whether that's good or not for the Broncos or for the Nuggets, excuse me, that remains to be seen. Mitch asks, will Denver watch Jokic's minutes all season, ultimately removing him from all NBA and MVP combos? I think that Jokic will play another 65 to 70 games. The threshold that you have to reach is 65. I think that they will try to get him to that place. If he does sustain an injury and they're like, yeah, you know, we want you to rest that rolled ankle an extra couple of games and maybe it drops him below that threshold to 63, 64, then I don't think Jokic is going to care. But what I do think is that it's going to be very interesting for a lot of these all-NBA conversations. Um, I think that some of these things, uh, even if Jokic does play like 62 games, for example, there is a stipulation in the CBA that says if a player is healthy, but the team decides to hold him out, uh, basically saying the player is not liable for this being a missed game, those games do not get counted as missed games. And there are certain ones where if it's injury, if it's actually the player's responsibility that he's missing, then those get counted as missed games. So there's there is a stipulation between what is actually a missed game in the CBA, which is really, really funny now. I think it is for that reason that you want to make sure that everybody still gets awards, uh, even if they're one or two games off. So I don't think you're going to see any problems with that. I don't think you're going to see any problems with a lot of players like that. So that's going to be fascinating to watch, though, and I'm, I'm very curious to see how it is ultimately handled because I think that Jokic will play enough, but it's going to be very, very interesting to see if he doesn't. All right. Jacob Burke asks, MPJ over under 19 points per game. I think this is very, very close. I think if I were a betting man, I would say that MPJ averages 19.5. He's going to average more than he did this last year. He's going to get more creative. And Denver, I think, is going to feature him even more. Like They're going to want him to play. They're going to want him to continue to grow and see that potential. And again, like without Bruce Brown, your other options are Peyton Watson, Christian Brown stepping up, Reggie Jackson, guys like that. I think Reggie will probably have a 
significant number of shots, especially at the beginning of the season. But I do think that MPJ, if I'm a betting man, they're going to try to stagger him at various moments as well. There's going to be times where he is coming off the bench or playing with the bench guys, and that will allow him a lot of opportunities to shoot. So I would bet on the over on that. I bet on the under on whatever Jokic's point total is. I bet on the over for Murray and Porter. Jordan Scott, he asks, last season we saw Malone play around with the rotation a little bit more than he normally does. Do you think that will be a trend moving forward? I think so. I think so that as Denver and the bench is sort of unstable, I think that Malone is going to continue to go to different options. He is going to be more willing to do so. He gives more job security than he ever has in his life coming off of a title. And I think for him especially, he is going to want to make sure his guys are rested to make sure that Murray is ready to go, that Jokic is ready to go, Porter's ready to go. And so even if he does stagger those guys with the second unit, there will be other options and they're going to want to find which of those other bench options are are good pieces to be playing next to Jokic, Murray, Porter, Aaron Gordon, KCP in a, in a playoff setting. I think that you could pencil in Christian Brown because it makes sense to. But I could also see, like, I know people don't want to talk about this, and I, I like Christian. I think it's very unlikely that this actually happens. But if he did have a sophomore slump or a setback or whatever, and just wasn't shooting well enough, and the defense just wasn't clicking for whatever reason, then there's a possibility that he doesn't play the entire time. The, the Nuggets are counting on him playing the entire time, and it would really shake things up if he wasn't good enough to deserve that. But I think that he will be, just just to be clear. Um, but I do think that whether it's Reggie Jackson versus Jalen Pickett's or Christian Brown versus Julian Strother or Peyton Watson versus Vlaco Chanchar or Zeke Naji versus, uh, I don't know, Jay Huff, who's the, the two-way contract that they just signed and is an actual seven-footer versus Zeke Naji, who's more of a small ball option. Like There's reasons to believe that Denver should play around with their roster uh, because I don't know who the best guys are. I think your starting five is pretty clear. I think your sixth man is pretty clear. But what became clear in kind of the expectations from last year, like think about at the beginning of last season, Bones Highland was considered the seventh man. And then it became very clear that he wasn't. Maybe Reggie Jackson starts the year as the seventh man. And maybe he isn't the right choice for that particular role. I think that it's fair for Malone to continue to bounce around to different options and say, yeah, I'd like to at least see what this other guy has. At least see what it looks like when Hunter Tyson plays the three or the four in various lineups. And maybe he plays next to Jokic. What does that look like? Like there's there's a lot, I think, to look at with so many of these different combinations. So I think that Malone will be mixing and matching a ton, even more than he did last year. Uh Skipping ahead a little bit. Bruce Nissan, he asks, or yeah, he asks, if Peyton Watson earns and keeps rotation minutes, who is he playing with and who is he taking minutes from? Justin Holiday is probably the guy who he takes minutes from because I think that the expectation right now is that those guys are in a competition for that backup small forward minutes. Christian Brown will be the backup two behind KCP. Those guys will play next to each other. They'll, like Christian Brown will play some three. He'll play 
uh, technically some backup one, even if KCP is the guy that slides over there. But I do think the backup three specifically, and maybe even three, four, Peyton Watson is going to compete for those minutes, and he's going to compete against Justin Holiday, who I think as a veteran, as a floor spacer, as a defensive option, like he just makes more sense as a plug-and-play guy than Peyton Watson does because Peyton Watson, not as strong of a three-point shooter, more of a playmaker, somebody who needs the ball in their hands a little, in his hands a little bit to create and make the most of his skill set. Denver's going to explore with that. They're going to try. Like I don't see any reason why they wouldn't. But what they're also going to have happen here is they are going to find out quickly that there will be lineups that are good for Peyton Watson and there are lineups that are really bad for Peyton Watson. So if he does play with those guys, I think he will play mostly with Christian Brown uh, because Brown will be in the rotation almost regardless. I think that Vlaco Chanchar makes sense with Peyton Watson. I think that he makes sense to kind of space the floor for him to get out of his way a little bit, to be a good veteran and somebody who can direct him in traffic a little bit. And Vlaco can absolutely do that. And I think Jamal Murray will be with Peyton Watson a lot. I think that that makes sense as a uh, kind of a guiding force on the court where Murray can just kind of set the tone a little bit. He'll be a playmaker and then try to set up Peyton Watson when he needs to in a similar way to where he's set up MPJ. So there's lots of like there, um, but I do think that Watson is mostly going to play with those guys. And then we'll see about Jalen Pickett, Julian Strother. Uh, I kind of like the combination of Julian Strother and Peyton Watson in theory because Strother's more of your spacer, your orbiter, your guy who goes around the action while Peyton Watson is in the action all the time. Uh, so they're not going to get in, in each other's way a ton. And that, to me, makes sense when you're building lineups. So going to be interesting to see what happens there. But I do think that Denver, uh, they've got a lot of things to figure out with Peyton. He's going to he's going to have a lot to figure out. And last question here. This comes from CT Fazio. Reggie had a good plus minus next to Jokic without Murray on the floor. Why did the two-point guard lineup not work last year? And can it work going forward. Um, I sort of changed the phrasing on this question, by the way, CT, so if you're watching, that that's why. Uh, I was looking at the totals. Uh, he pointed out the numbers, and it's true that Reggie had a positive plus minus when Jokic was on the floor and Murray was off, uh, which basically means that Reggie was the default point guard. There were also some minutes in there where Ish Smith was on the floor, so maybe Ish was the actual point guard and Reggie was the two. What I'm going to say is that it's a very small sample size. It is a very small group, and I do not think that the most emblematic minutes for Denver's success are the March minutes where Reggie was out there with Jokic and Murray. Uh, think about what happened in March. Think about what happened for the team and how much they actually cared about defense during that stretch and what was actually going on. Uh, I tend to think that the most emblematic uh, actual time is going to be in December and January once again, where Denver has a couple, they've got 20 games to really knock off the rust. And then once January, or when December, January happens, you've got a 30 game stretch or so where you really rack up wins, you really rack up plus minus and playing time and time together. Like it's not as, you're not overlapping chemistry as much. You are more so just very comfortable with your group. Malone more so figures out the nine or ten guys that he wants to play consistently. 
and Reggie, if he's in there, I think he'll have a positive plus minus with Jokic and Murray. Um, I think that the two point guard lineup can work. I understand why it hasn't, and I understand why the data says what it does. The defense is the most important thing with that two point guard lineup look. Um, I think that Murray's got to be better defensively than he was last year. I think that he will be. I think that Reggie, if he wants to play, if he actually wants to be a part of that, he cannot be a space cadet. Like he has to be locked in on a consistent basis. He cannot just be losing track of his man consistently. He can't be getting blown by. He can't be getting eaten up on screens like all the time. Like he has to be able to do the work, or else he's not going to earn a playoff rotation spot. And that's just facts. Like he did not this last year. And those were the primary reasons why. It wasn't even the offense, it was the defense. So I think that the two-point guard lineup can work, with or without Jokic. I think that as Murray continues to get better, he is going to continue to draw more and more attention, deal with better and better, like like he's going to be better in worse circumstances. And I think that that's going to continue to evolve. It's going to be a little bit different from last year, where he's still kind of figuring out what he's good at and what he's not good at coming off of that ACL tip. I think that they're going to have to defend. I think that Murray and Reggie will have to defend together. I think that if Jokic, especially in those kind of December and January months, if he's trying on the defensive end, then Denver's going to be a good defensive team. Like They have good defensive personnel. And even though Reggie is not the best defender, he can fit into that as long as everybody's working as one. So we will see what actually happens. But I think that he's a guy that I, I would definitely trust to like in those December and January months, I would trust Reggie Jackson to be good enough. If he isn't, that's a problem. Denver's going to have to figure out a different solution if Reggie can't be good enough in those minutes because those minutes have to be good. So we will see. We will absolutely see. I'm very curious to see how this actually plays out. Um, But that is going to do it, I think, for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, everybody. Uh, Thank you so much for tuning into the show. I believe we've got some other questions that I will continue to hit on. I'm probably going to do a mailbag about every month or so. I think that makes sense to not oversaturate it. There will be other podcasts that I work through. I've got a lot to cover between now and training camp, which is going to happen in about 10 weeks. So a lot to cover, covering the FIBA World Cup, the schedule will drop. There'll be some preview content that we do and some look back content on the most important moments as well as some guest appearances. Should be fun. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. I appreciate all the love and support on the podcast. Once again, make sure to leave a like and subscribe to the YouTube channel for sure. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you guys on Wednesday.